Welcome to Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast that attempts to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Today's episode is called Accepting Pain as Help for Purification. And in this episode, we're going to dive into the yogic concept of tapas. Tapas translates as to burn, but a more elaborate translation is to accept pain as help for purification. And Yoga Sutra 243 says, By austerity, impurities of body and senses are destroyed and occult powers gained. So the word austerity here refers to tapas. So by tapas, by accepting pain as help for purification, impurities of body and senses are destroyed and occult powers gained. And there are many forms of tapas. There is tapas or basically a burning, a clearing of the body. There is tapas of the mind, which comes in the form of self-control. There is tapas of the emotional body, meaning we don't overindulge in blaming, projecting, or rejecting emotions. There's tapas with what we eat. There's tapas with speech, knowing how to speak with truth and love in equal balance and non-harming. There's tapas of relationship, being willing to sit with your discomfort with another person rather than blame them or run away or create stories unnecessarily. And there are so many other forms of tapas, but that's just what stands out the most to me. And so starting from the beginning, tapas of the physical body. In the Yoga Sutras, the type of physical tapas they're referring to are the yoga postures, the yoga asanas, as we call them, the pranayamas, the the breath expansion exercises, so breath work, meditations, being able to sit still for long durations, even though the body craves to move, the mind craves activity or change. And also, if we take this to a broader sense, talking about kriyas. So kriyas are the physical purification acts in yoga, such as pumping the breath in and out really quickly many times, Um, drinking salt water until we vomit to clear the stomach of excess bile, and so on and so forth. And starting with yoga asana, tapas within yoga asana comes in the form of not just doing things that come easy for us. Um, You know, the first tapas with actual yoga asana is to show up on the mat. It's that willingness to roll our mat out wherever we've decided to do it and stand upon it or lay upon it and be like, all right, I'm dedicating this time. And for so many of us, that's actually the hardest part about it because so many other things in life call our attention. We go to lay on the floor and we see the dust and so we go pick up a broom. 
right? Or we have to cook dinner or wash the dishes or do the mundane tasks, run errands. And so tapas of the physical body, especially in reference to yoga, is about being willing to show up for it first and foremost. That's accepting that discomfort of leaving things undone to take time for ourselves, to take time to clean our physical house, essentially, with the asanas. Another way that accepting pain as help for purification shows up in our yoga practice is a scenario we've all, we've all probably found ourselves in more times than not if we're dedicated practitioners. I had it happen last night. I was in my favorite teacher's class, my favorite teacher here in San Francisco. Her name's Nicole Chase, by the way. You all need to go check her out. Um, and she was making us do a lot of core work and a lot of lunges. And I was finding myself have a lot of burning in my left outer hip. And there was a point where I just wanted to lay on the floor. And I was feeding this thought more and more. I want to lay on the floor. I got to get off my legs. My feet hurt. And I kept going there. And suddenly I just decided to transmute it. And so as my hip was burning, I just held the pose. Now, there's a disclaimer here. Of course, we don't want to do something that's going to create long-term injury or suffering. So, of course, we want to be discerning and intelligent about when we apply tapas, right? But for me, injury wasn't the case. It was just my muscle getting stronger, my muscle burning, getting fatigued, thereby, of course, becoming more resilient in the long run. And so I held the pose. It was actually standing split. And I just sat there in kind of a half-assed version. But the truth is, I sat there in it. I didn't run from it. I didn't come out of it just because there was some resistance. And, and that's where the transformation happens. Today, I found myself running up the stairs of my house really easily. No burning in my legs at all. And we can see how those things are connected. My willingness to sit through a little temporary discomfort has led to a longer term strength within my physical body. And that's the real uh, undertone of yoga asana, especially if you practice vinyasa or any type of vigorous or, you know, deep flexibility type of yoga work or even inversions, things that trigger us and bring up fear. The real magic is the energy of burning away impurities not only in the body like for example when we do a twist it gives our organs a nice squeeze and helps move stagnant energy out of them down and out through the path of elimination um, but also when we're doing that twist there's a pure there's a purification happening in the mental body as well so generally twists represent being willing to see other perspectives like literally taking a look around you and sitting with what you see Right, So there's this metaphoric, energetic aspect at play with all of these yoga asanas. And so they're not only tapas for the body, but tapas for the mind. Another example is whenever someone who you know, struggles with backbending, when they go to do wheel pose, or we call it urdhva dhanarasana in Sanskrit, means upward facing bow. It's a full backbend where your feet are on the floor, your hands are on the floor, and the hips are up. And... It, it can be very challenging for many people. And the tapas of that pose is to even attempt it. It doesn't really matter the outcome. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. The medicine, the tapas, the clearing, the resilience comes from the attempt. 
it comes from the willingness to approach the practice regardless of what the story in the mind tells us. And eventually that same struggle that we found in that pose, it dissipates until we've totally transmuted our relationship with it. So what once made us struggle or shrink away in fear or just apathy, not wanting to go there, giving up before we've even tried because we don't, we haven't had a good experience in the past. Um, you know, it, the tapas brings that realization that we're stronger than our mind tells us. We're more capable than we may realize. But without even approaching that challenging pose, we get caught in the story and that story becomes reinforced. And so when we transmute the energy over time through approach, through practice, that essentially is what tapas is. It's the ability to take what causes pain and accept it and just say, I accept that you are going to be here with me right now as I go through this process. And then there's no surprises. We go to do the Urdhva the wheel pose. And as we lift up, we're like, oh, there's that one resistance there, breathing into it, sitting with it, riding that wave. And over time, kind of like erosion of water on a limestone cliff, more and more of that resistance breaks off and it, it dissolves until what we're left with is this pure, shiny geode, this crystalline awareness within ourselves that we used to struggle with wheel pose, for example, and now we don't. And that's really the energy of overcoming. And that's another way of looking at accepting pain as help for purification, is that if you can sit with your discomfort long enough, eventually that discomfort shifts. It no longer has its hand around your throat, chains on your feet, and your arms handcuffed behind your back energetically or physically. Other forms of physical tapas within the yoga practice um, are, is the breathwork and the kriyas. And the kriyas or these, these actions, kriya means action basically, these purificatory actions are intended to basically clear us of toxins, clear the physical body of excess toxic matter that will hold us back from being in our full vibrancy and our full health. So, for example, when we do kapalabhati, or shining skull breath, where we really actively pump the exhalation out by snapping the belly back, and the air comes out of the nose in little staccato beats, um, what that's doing is help purify all your abdominal organs. So that allows your bowels to function better, right? So if it's like we feel ridiculous doing it, why are we doing this even? It's like, well, this is why. And, and that's something that I think is really important, especially if you're a yoga teacher, is don't just teach people how to do something. Teach them why they're doing it. Because if, if we understand why we approach practice in the first place, oh, it's to get clearer, it's to clean my physical house, it's to clean my mental and emotional house too with these practices, then right away we start to intellectually grasp that even when we're uncomfortable, even if we don't like it, even if we don't like something the teacher says, we can simply allow it to clear us in whatever way it can. Even if that clearing is simply knowing, okay, that was too much for me. I acknowledge where I'm at. I'm going to approach practice and not give up right? That happens a lot, right? A beginner will accidentally walk into a level two, three class and they leave and they're like, yoga, yogis are crazy egomaniacs and that's way too hard and those people are nuts. And then they never do yoga again, right? 
I've seen that happen a few times. And, you know, the truth is, is sometimes it's okay to go and be humbled. Sometimes it's okay to be the only one in the room who can't do something. That's another form of tapas. And so I've had a few bodywork clients come to me with that. I tried that yoga class, not mine, thankfully. Ah, there's my ego. Ah. But, you know, they go to like some random, you know, CrossFit place with some kind of boot camp yoga and they're doing tons of chaturanga push-ups and planks. And, you know, for a 75-year-old woman, is that appropriate? Who's never done yoga in her life? Probably not. So what I've told some of these clients you know, in particular, this one client I'm speaking of is, well, don't give up because yoga can be for everyone. And then what she decided to do was do a pack of privates with me. And now she's learned how to approach the practice in a way that is working for her. And she practices on her own now at home all the time. And so that's the beauty of tapas is it doesn't have to look one way. It's not just that your thigh is burning like crazy in warrior pose and then you continue to hold it because you're a warrior and you're hardcore. Yeah, that works when you're 34. But does that work when you're 75? Not necessarily. So that form of tapas comes in the form of accepting, sometimes accepting limitations and and surrendering to them, thanking them for showing us a way to be less attached, for showing us a way to be a little less graspy, a little less clingy to the outcome happening in a certain storyline or a certain way. Moving on, another form of the most base layer of tapas, the physical layer, is moderating our diet. Earlier today, I was out looking for a cooler everywhere because we're having a power outage in Berkeley, where I live. And I had to go to several different places. And I was getting hungrier and hungrier. And my mind wanted to give up. I kept thinking, I want to go eat some, some Indian food. And I love Indian food. It's my favorite. But after I eat it, oftentimes I need to take a great big nap. And today I knew that taking a nap was not in the cards, that I, I have work to do. I have a podcast to record, after all. And I also knew that I had all of these salad ingredients in the fridge that need to be consumed soon because we don't have power for a few days. So even though I was getting a cooler and I have getting ice, I still knew I didn't want to waste food. So as much as my sensory uh, impulses were telling me, go get the Indian food, go do it, you want it, go, 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 I abstained from it, came home and made a salad. And although I had to sit with my hunger about 20 minutes longer than I would have if I would have gone to the Indian restaurant, I just saw it literally as a form of purification, seeing that just because my stomach growls doesn't mean I immediately have to put food in it. So another form of tapas, especially on the mental level, is not always fulfilling every single sensory desire we have. Sometimes it's knowing when to go eat the salad rather than the Indian food. Now, on the flip side, it's much later in the day now, and all the chores are almost done. And my partner's home from work. There's a good chance, because we don't have a stove to use or to cook with today in our house, that we might go eat that Indian food now. You see, so there's a, there's a certain amount of discernment that we want to use in regards to tapas. Because if we always only eat salad rather than Indian food... That might be seen as a little bit too much self-discipline. That might, that might be a little bit too neglectful on the noble pursuit of having pleasure. Sensory pleasure is something that I do believe we are entitled to. 
But the problem arises when we think we need that same maximum amount of sensory pleasure every single day. It's like no one to eat the salad and no one to go eat that huge plate of Indian food. And, and be aware of your choices. Like know why you are making those choices, right? Because so many of us let our senses run the show. We don't even think about why until we have our mouth full of curry. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, maybe we're like, oh, wait. I have all this food at home getting ready to go bad and I was supposed to go and put the food in the cooler as soon as I could but instead I let my senses rule me, I diverted, forgot my task and now I'm eating curry. You know, and although we can't we shouldn't punish ourselves if we find ourselves in that scenario, it's just about course correction. It's just about knowing when to shift the frequency a little bit. And and become a little more self-aware of knowing when we're making the choices we're making. Really, self-awareness is another way of having self-control. Because as long as we're aware of ourselves, we're going to have a little bit more discernment or a lot more discernment and control over our actions. Now, diving into what tapas isn't just for a moment of the physical body. Sometimes people get really caught up in like the tapas of exercise. They become addicted. So they'll go take a yoga class in the morning and then they'll go to CrossFit in the afternoon and then at night they go running. And that, that's not tapas anymore. That's indulging in a certain addiction. Just like any addiction, exercise can be that. And the reason I want to address this on this podcast is because I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that, you know, the more you do yoga and the more your thighs burn, the more enlightened you're going to become quickly because that is not true at all. Tapas is really related to brahmacharya or moderation. It's, it's knowing when to do something whenever we feel resistance and to push through it anyway. It's knowing when to sit with our feelings of, you know, oh, I, I just ate that, you know, big piece of pizza and now I need to go running to burn it off. If that thought comes up, what I want you to do is sit down instead. Because that, that goes more into the range of trying to succumb to society's pressures rather than tapas or maybe addictions or maybe even eating disorders right so think tapas isn't about being extreme necessarily although classically especially back in ancient india tapas was sometimes a very extreme thing like there are stories of Indian sages or saints who would hold their arm up for their entire life. They would just hold their right arm up over their head every waking moment. So the arm would become totally atrophied, meaning the muscles would be totally withered away and they've got this little toothpick of an arm. And can you imagine how uncomfortable that is? I know for me, I go to hold my arm up for even a minute in yoga and it gets tired. Yet these yogis were so committed to tapas, so committed to self-realization that they would hold their arm up for their entire life. And I think that that is amazing. I love to hear stories about that. But I feel like in our modern culture, A, who is going to actually do that that's listening to this podcast? I highly doubt anyone. And that's why it's important to clarify what tapas isn't. It isn't exercise obsession. It isn't body image obsession. It isn't food obsession. Tapas 
is the art of accepting pain as help for purification, but on a, in a way that is moderate, in a way that doesn't create long-term damage or harm. Okay, and tapas has that element of, again, pratipaksha bhavanam, of being willing to do the opposite than what you really, really want to do. So if you feel like, oh, I just ate that piece of pizza and I need to go run it and burn it off. It's like, that's not really tapas. I mean, it's okay to do that. Yes. But if you are always shaming yourself over the food you eat, it's time to take a look at what's really going on in the self-worth. Okay. And, and not confuse addiction for purification. Because an addiction only reinforces negative stories in the inner critic. And self-destructive habits. Whereas tapas or accepting pain as help for purification helps us awaken to our true nature. It helps us see our true nature through the mirror of developing virtues such as perseverance, the ability to ride the wave of not fully feeling comfortable on one level or another or many. Okay, I feel like there's more to say about that, but my mind kind of hit a stop. So we'll move on. Another form of tapas is, of course, accepting life's experiences that we don't always enjoy as help for purification. So I know for myself that I tend to be a little bit more introverted. And whenever I go out in public, there's always a little internal pep talk I give myself of everyone is friendly the world is a safe place for me and I'm loved and accepted those are like little stories I tell myself to shift old stories that say quite the opposite and the other night we had um, an experience where we took one of my really good friends and my partner and I and we all went out to a nightclub in the city and we went dancing to some really incredible bass music and I love electronic music that's infused with deep bass. It's something that literally will drag me out of my comfort zone of my home in the middle of the night almost. And I will stay up all night dancing to it. I'm completely sober too, if I so choose, right? Um, so we brought my good friend to this nightclub. And as we walked in, I could see my good friend and I just both kind of shrink away from it and be like, oh, the energy doesn't feel you know, super good right now. So we go to this nightclub and we're not feeling very comfortable just because it's just a new place and the energy felt what we would call a little bit dark to us. But the truth is we surrendered to the experience and, and we just started to assimilate and by our willingness to sit with our initial discomfort, we ended up having an incredible evening. It was really refreshing. It brought a lot of creative energy to all of us. And that's just a very simple example of how tapas of the mind and tapas of being willing to sit with uncomfortable experiences can lead us to a greater sense of connection. I can't even tell you how many times there's been someone I've met and I haven't initially liked them and then they turn out to be one of my closest friends in this life. It's like imagine if I would have taken that initial assumption, that initial, initial judgment at face value. We would have never even connected. And so our willingness to accept discomfort as just a part of life, a part of this experience of being a human, 
leads us to this greater ability to weather the storm of any scenario. And practicing it on a small scale, such as going to a nightclub and feeling a little off at first and then sinking in, allows us to practice it on a much larger scale. So say you're, you have a whole year full of uncomfortable events. You can see it for what it is. You can see that it's actually guiding you towards more alignment in your life. It's guiding you towards a deeper sense of what your highest spiritual longings are. So when we sacrifice a little bit of sensory comfort and pleasure to grow and learn, then of course it can only work out in our favor. And in this Yoga Sutra, when it says, through tapas, impurities of body and mind are burned away, impurities of the senses and body are destroyed, what it's saying is the more we work with things that take us out of our comfort zone, the more we burn away that attachment to the comfort zone. And the more, likewise, paradoxically, we expand our comfort zone into a greater circumference. So things that used to create a lot of discord and unease within me start to actually become comfort zones. And that's what we call growth. Even this podcast, so many times I've sat to record this podcast and thought, everything I'm saying, people have heard. How is this benefiting anyone? And every time I sit with myself and I record this podcast, I channel it through my intuition. Every time I sit with it and I do it anyway, I get so many letters um, via social media saying how much it's helping people. And so there's this tapas of overcoming our own resistance, overcoming our own stories about what is acceptable, what's worthy, and what's not. And instead, riding those waves and seeing that Everything that comes through us is coming through for a reason. And the easy route would be to just let it come through silently and go away silently. But the transformative route is to let it be expressed, even when we're scared, is to you know, open our mouth and speak when we need to stand up for ourselves or someone around us. And to be loving in the process if we can. But if we can't be loving, at least we can be authentic. At least we can be present with the experience, whatever it is. Other forms of purification is, for example, moderating our speech. So not just talking just to be heard. So even if the mind is wanting to say a million things and keep communicating, understand that there's a time and place, right? So let's say, for example, you're you're with someone in the same room and they're trying to concentrate on something and you feel a desire to talk to that person and keep distracting them. You're stealing from that person. So tapas of speech is knowing when to withhold communication with respect for others. Another tapas of speech is knowing when to speak up, when to stand up for ourselves, even if we're fearful, even if we feel like it might not be the greatest outcome. It's knowing basically when to refrain and when to express and this is a learned art that comes over I believe lifetimes it's not just something that we automatically get sometimes we have to you know not express something that's really valid and then have more boundaries crossed until we're forced to express it because we have to or sometimes we need to 
say something and put our foot in our mouth and embarrass ourselves a little bit to realize hmm, that wasn't a very mindful or respectful thing to say. And so we learn how to reframe it or not say it again to, to not cause harm to ourselves or others. Another form of this is to speak the truth. It's so easy to go around the truth or elaborate it to make ourselves seem more important. But the truth is, if we just stay focused on what we're doing and in the beauty of what we have to offer in the, the world, people will see us for what we are. They will see the real us and we don't have to pretend or elaborate or change. All we have to do is show up, express when it's appropriate and, and allow it, just allow space for it to happen. Relationship is a really great place to learn this. There are so many times in relationship where maybe we, we find ourselves having a little bit of a challenge. And it doesn't matter who it's with. Relationship could be with anyone. It could be friendship. It could be partnership. It could be your family. It could be your coworkers, your clients, your students, your neighbors, animals, plants, the earth. Relationship can refer to any of these things. And in particular, our human relationships um, sometimes can bring up a lot of discomfort. And the easy thing to do would be to want, want to run away from that discomfort. But the real work here, if we're going to really try to live our life in a way that we're able to work with the, the clay, the blank canvas, if you will, that life has given us, is to actually try to work through those challenges as opposed to run away and hide and save them for another day. Because the truth is, and most of us have heard this, things we don't deal with in one relationship will resurface in the next one. Or they will resurface in multiple relationships at the same time with different people in our life. And so the idea of working through our struggles as a way to help clarify our mind and to become even, you know, more compassionate, more capable of expressing and more capable of listening to others as well. This is really powerful work. And it's work that I think most of us do on a day-to-day -day basis. But if we begin to realize like, wow, I'm uncomfortable. This is an opportunity as opposed to, wow, I'm uncomfortable. Why is this happening to me? And I'm not talking about you know, major human rights violations and, and marginalization and, or a natural disaster due to climate change where people suffer immeasurably. I don't believe that is tapas necessarily. Some may look at it that way who have done their really deep spiritual work. They look at it like it's going to make them stronger. We've all heard that saying, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Um, and this is especially in relation to the challenges we face on a day-to-day -day basis, right? It's like, how can we work with the lemons, all the sour grapes or whatever, and, and make it a delicious, tasty beverage instead? Make it something that we can transmute. And transmuting energy is basically what tapas does. It it's something that if we are willing to apply it to our life, intellectually, physically, and everywhere in between, spiritually, all of it, if we're willing to just ride that wave, we come out on the other side, and we come out clearer than before. 
And, you know, part of tapas of the mind is to refrain from too much substance use. For example, if someone is, you know, doing a lot of drugs, their intuition will not be turned on. It will be overridden by the strong impulses that the drugs, you know, trigger in the brain, the strong chemical releases, the drug triggers in the brain. So, you know, if we want to become more psychic, and this goes into that last part of the sutra about occult powers being gained, think occult powers, what's the first one that's probably going to come for most of us? It's just becoming a little bit more clairvoyant or a lot more, a lot more sensitive to our surroundings, a lot more observant. And that leads to us becoming psychic. And psychic abilities are innate within each and every one of us. You know, I think before our minds got super clouded with all of this modern day society, most people were fully aware of their psychic abilities, or at least some of them, more than are now. And what happens is life gets in the way, it clouds us, you know, instead of instead of sitting and meditating, a lot of people scroll through their social media accounts, or they watch the television or they go entertain themselves in some way, shape, or form. And although there's nothing wrong with this, there's a point where if we have excessive sensory intake, we lose our clarity, clarity of mind. And that when we lose clarity of mind, we also disconnect from our intuitive abilities. And so part of what, you know, all this purification and all of this accepting pain is help for this, part of what it leads to is us waking up on a deeper level. And waking up on a deeper level literally means that the intuitive body becomes activated. It's, it means that the sixth sense is not something that we made up. It actually exists. And if we tune in long enough, do our work, it rises to the forefront of our awareness and why does it matter? Why would being psychic matter? Well, it's like when your inner voice talks to you and says, hey, turn right instead of going straight. If, if you listen, you turn right. Maybe you avoided a great big traffic jam and you didn't, you didn't even realize it until you're going over the overpass looking at it, right? So it can be very simple or it can be very powerful. Like you might hear that, you know, someone's coming into town who you love and all of a sudden you run into them in the grocery store. I mean, it can, it can all be very simple. It doesn't need to be some big dramatic, like I'm a genie with a crystal ball and I'm telling you your future and your past. Although that might manifest that way. Think psychic abilities in the realm of how does that work in the day to day? It's just like a little extra guidance, a little extra help. It's about being tuned in with the rhythms around us, tuned into the earth, the people and ourselves and the energy in the air. And if we are clear enough, then tuning into all that is just natural. It's just right there with us all the time. But if our mind is clouded with substances or too much intake of entertainment, too much talking even, too much socializing, then we won't be connected to that element within ourselves. So just to recap, Yoga Sutra says, by austerity... Impurities of body and senses are destroyed and occult powers gained. What that means is by acceptance as pain as help for purification, all that stands in our way of being in our highest health, vibrancy, intuition, and clarity, it falls away. And from that toxic material, whether it's physically, emotionally, or emo- or 
mentally, whatever it is, by that falling away, we naturally awaken to our occult powers, meaning we awaken to the ability to be psychic. We awaken to the ability to tune into the energy and be observant. Because our mind isn't clouded, we can become deeply present. And right now, in this modern day, perhaps that's the biggest superpower we can have, is the ability to sit with whatever experience we're having, even when we're uncomfortable, and seek the deeper clearing from it. Seek the spiritual teaching from it. And in that, the awakening occurs. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma Podcast. Namaste.